All right, so hello everyone and welcome to the uh, pilot episode here on the Sorted Skeptics. I'm Shredder Steve. I'm Tappin' Tim. And today we're going to be discussing a little bit about depression. So first off, I'm just going to go through a quick little uh, blurb about what depression is, and then we're going to get into a 10-point list about the 10 things that you need to know about depression in order to survive into the future. So first up, depression is a little bit different from sadness, which is a temporary state that's experienced by everybody from time to time. Depression is literally about being forced down. It's a psychological mood disorder marked by a distinct lack of energy, continual thoughts and feelings of hopelessness, despair, and being overwhelmed. It affects our thoughts, behaviors, and our physical condition, and it interferes with our ability to work, study, and really enjoy our life at all. Now, there are different forms like major, atypical, or dysthymia, and thankfully it is very treatable. There's a lot of self-help steps that can be implemented to prevail over depression. So that's really what we're uh, going to be going over today. Tim, was there anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of shame that's associated around depression. Like, you might think that, you know, a lot of things are going really well in your life. For the most part, you still wonder, you know, why I don't feel so well. So, um, and that's... That could be for many reasons, but partly why is that, you know, you might not be conscious of certain areas that might need attention, right? And, um, you know, I think men experience a certain amount of shame, you know, with depression. Just, you know, it compounds our difficulties functioning in life, right? But there is a, a very positive aspect about depression sense that it can be you know a signal for personal transformation and it can it can draw us to like new new interests new um things to explore new books new new information knowledge to really get us to change you know how we're how we're doing so and open us up for you know an opportunity for improvement absolutely and i you did touch on how this is something that affects men. Uh, and I know it does seem to affect people in different ways, but there's definitely a stigma associated with uh, being a man and suffering from depression because it's sort of a, you know, pull yourself by your bootstraps and, yeah, you know, stop being such a miserable wet blanket all the time, right? Yeah, but and we know that doesn't really <laughs> it, it, de- it definitely doesn't help, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if if you are, you know, just being a little bit moody... And uh, yeah. maybe maybe it's yeah. a good reality check, but chances yeah. are, if uh, you're really suffering from depression, it's not really something you're going to go around bitching and complaining about. It doesn't really tend to manifest itself that way. Exactly. So let's uh, let's start off with number one in the list here: feelings of helplessness and hopelessness that uh, things will never get better and that nothing can be done. How, uh, how would you characterize this? Because I know you and I, we've both had our own bouts with depression back and forth. So how would you characterize these feelings of helplessness and hopelessness? Well, um, it's essentially like a repetitive belief that you're, you know, that you're stuck in, that your mind is stuck in a state where you can't really see things changing, right? And it's, you know, it's like you're embedded in it. And it's difficult to really think your way outside of it. But um, this is why it's valuable, really, to keep in contact with other people to help you 
you know, kind of give you a different, like, fresh perspective. Absolutely, and I, and I know what you mean, because it's it's sort of like there's no there's no light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. Is a that's what it feels like, yeah. and it and it persistently feels like, and that's the thing with depression, you feel it for, you know, longer than, like, two weeks, let's say, right? Absolutely, and, and if it was just one of these, like, you know, you're you're feeling kind of down because maybe one life path has shut itself down, and, you know, you're not going to be going down that path anymore, I find the difference between just normal sadness or grieving and dealing with that and depression is that when you're not depressed, other life paths will sort of manifest in your imagination. You can start thinking of different things Mm -hmm. you could do, right? But with this, there is like zero thought process about that. It's just, there there is no, there is no other way I could go about this. I'm sort of stuck and just, just nothing shows up to pull you out of that, out of your mind. Like there's nothing like, Hey, wait, maybe I could do this or maybe I could do that. Like, like, you know, you get yeah. that when you're feeling a little more, more positive, you get those moments of clarity and you're like, oh, wait, maybe things aren't so bad. Maybe I could, you know, maybe I could just do this or that and things might work out okay. But when you're in the depths of, uh, of a depression. I know those, those windows of hope just don't seem to uh, appear very often. Yeah, for sure. There's a struggle to really sustain yourself. And a lot of the things that you do normally seem to be like, seem to be a, a bit more, a bit, a lot more of a bigger deal. Just to, you know, get through your daily sort of grind, let's say. Mm-hmm. And um, those tasks that you wouldn't really think of normally seem to be, their difficulty is like amplified in a way. And it's like we overly worry about, yeah, these tasks that we're, we're used to, right? Yeah, and speaking of the, uh, the tasks, I think that segues us nicely into point number two. Mm which is a loss of interest in daily activities. So it's not necessarily that they're just difficult, it's this they're just so uninteresting. Yeah. That it's like, well, you know, I suppose I could go do that. I could go, you know, exercise, or I could eat healthily, or I could engage in some basic hygiene tasks. But a lot right. of those times you're just thinking, well, why don't I just not do that? And it's very difficult to weigh those balance, those different options and balance and sort of say, well, yeah, maybe I should take the better path. Because there's really... It's, they're just the same shade of gray. It's just, well, I could or I couldn't. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like, you know? what's the point? And everything seems way more or less interesting. And I, I I tend to feel way more bored. Like, it's way easier to get bored things. It's Definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's harder to, yeah, find things that'll, you'll get some, yeah, kind of, you know, enjoyment. Yeah, get some, manifest time. some joy with, right? Like, former hobbies, Pleasure. like, uh like getting in uh, some guitar time or some video game time, just stuff that is, uh, you're able to derive pleasure from it. In the midst of a depression, those things just don't generate any pleasure. Yeah, you don't have that inner drive, really, to, let's say, walk over and pick up the guitar. (laughs) And the thing is, yeah, even if you do go over there and pick up the guitar and you try to strum it out, you try to to just work through it, it just, it doesn't feel the same, it just sort of feels like you're going through the motions, and you can't convince yourself that you're having fun doing it. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's not like very well put. Yeah, you, you just like it's like as much as like if you were to just sit down and play normally, you could be like, well, this just is enjoyable, right? Mm-hmm. That the, the joy just manifests itself out of out of nothingness, basically, right? You perform the action, the joy arrives. Whereas this time you're playing, no joy arrives, and you can't lie to yourself. You can't mm-hmm. say, oh yeah, I'm totally having fun doing this because you're not, you know. And and mm-hmm. lying to yourself is definitely not not a, a good strategy to get yourself out of this. Exactly. Uh, social yeah. activities, like, I, I know what that's like, where it's like, well, I suppose I could go out and hang out with people on a Friday or Saturday night, but I really just don't feel like bringing other people down with my my, yeah. my low mood. 
And yeah. I, and I think this does have a. I don't know if this is some kind of evolutionary thing, but I know when this happens when we get sick, we tend to self isolate. And I think that's also because traditionally, if you were if you didn't have that reaction, you'd be much more likely to spread disease. So I think over mm. time, this is just an evolved reaction where when we're not feeling 100%, we just feel it's it's a better idea to stay away from people. And that makes sense if you have a contagious illness. But with depression, I think it's just the same effect without that same result. So you kind of feel, well, I don't want to bring people down with my mood, so I'm just going to kind of stay in. And if you continually take that path, it sort of becomes habitual. And that becomes sort of the default option, and that can lead to some very, very dangerous isolation. So you got to be careful. And you're and you're likely to predict that you're just not going to have a good time. Definitely. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, I mean, I remember that quite distinctly from uh, from our high school days. We're sort of like, oh, well, we're going to go to this this high school party. It's like, well, I probably don't want to because it's just going to (laughs) suck. You know, I mean, some of them were good, but a lot of them did suck. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, just a general loss of ability to, uh, to feel joy or pleasure, or I guess even anticipate that you're going to feel joy or pleasure. Uh, yeah, yeah. and then next up at number three, we've got appetite or weight changes. So maybe a 5% variance in either direction up or down. Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely notice this, you know, I would tend, I tend to eat a little bit more, I think, uh, before depression, but when I'm in the midst of it, my appetite disappears. Like I can sometimes mm. go like a full 24 hours and not eat anything. You know what I mean? Mm. But th- I have to force myself to do it because I have such a long commute to work. It, yeah. I'm at a risk of losing consciousness if I don't have a high enough blood sugar. So it's a serious safety risk for me to, to not eat. And yeah. my wife's on me all the time about, you know, make sure you're, you're getting enough, uh, you know, to sustain a, you know, a healthy blood sugar and body weight and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, which is yeah another thing I probably have to work on as well. Uh, how about you? How, yeah. what is, what's what's the effect for you on your weight and um, your uh, your appetite? Yeah, at times my my appetite has has fluctuated. Sometimes I've lost weight because you know I've worried so much about mm. about gaining it. So I just get into this you know uh, habit maybe of like not eating breakfast, and that you know that really can sap your energy way right and and then um, what happens when when it comes to lunchtime what do you end up eating um well i remember (laughs) like if you haven't eaten breakfast like what what's the general trend if you just haven't eaten anything in the morning when lunchtime comes around what do you what kind of foods yeah well i'll just buy like fast food usually like that's what happened at university a lot absolutely and that uh that lure of the fast food it's pretty compelling it's like i kind of left this to the last minute but i got to get something in me in the next 10 minutes it's like oh perfect drive through (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, yeah. And if that becomes routine, it's like, oh man, those those pounds will pack on pretty quick. And it, uh, it works the other way too. Like during these last winter months, I noticed like I gained um, probably like five five to ten pounds. And I remember looking at myself like in the mirror and just that having that sense of realizing, shit, I, like just gained all this weight, and now I know I'm gonna have to. Pretty hard to, oh yeah, you know. Get no, back I, to I hear so you, that's man. That's not a nice feeling at all. Right? I hear you. Whether well, there were a couple of my coworkers at work are doing a weight loss challenge, and both of them are are already kind of skinny, but I guess they're they want to just get even skinnier or whatever. <laughs> Bloody metrosexuals, eh? What can you do? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I am like, oh, you know, what? I'm just gonna jump on there just out of my own curiosity because yeah. I haven't weighed myself in years, and I clocked in at 263 pounds, and I was like, holy shit, uh, I gotta take control here because this is. Uh, <laughs> This is getting a little out of control, but, uh, yeah, 
So for me, I think it's... Oh, you know, before we go on, I just also want to draw a distinction between that kind of an effect and the effect of something like anorexia or, mm-hmm. or bulimia, like specific eating disorders like that, and also orthorexia, which is a really funny one I want to talk about down the road, which is about righteous eating. It's what you get from a lot of these, like, organic vegan types. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll we'll get course. into that later, but right yeah. now I just want to draw a distinction that anorexia and bulimia, these are more about, I guess, chasing after a certain ideal body image. Depression, yeah. it has nothing to do with that. You're just kind of disgusted with yourself, and you can't really muster the energy to do anything about it. Right, right. That's so, important distinction. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so, moving on, uh, sleep changes. This is a big deal. This so, is so easy yeah. to overlook. And, um, yeah, I mean, getting up multiple times the middle of the night, mm. it's really detrimental because you're not getting that valuable REM sleep. Definitely. And, Probably not getting like a full, more of a full dream as well. Process the day. Yeah, you got to be able to convert your short-term memory into long-term memory. So if, if you're not taking the time to do that, and I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and your the effect for you with uh, depression and sleep changes, you seem to uh, lose a lot of sleep. But for me, I tend to sleep way more. Like mm-hmm. if I'm in the midst of a depression, like I'll come home and basically just like do a couple things, and then I just go straight to bed, and I'll get like 11 hours of sleep. And I'll feel exhausted when I wake up. And then the next day is even worse because then I can't sleep because I've overslept. Right. That's when I'll start to get that insomnia where it's like if if I oversleep the day before and the next day I'm screwed. So I I have to be very careful about going to bed at the same time and waking up the same time every day. Yeah. Having that that constant. Yeah. is a big deal. And, you know, there's some tricks as well to help you fall asleep if you're having trouble falling asleep, like trying melatonin. Mm Mm-hmm. Even warm milk and like there's tea that's or that's kind of like a sleep aid as well. But I found when I've if my depression was way more intense that I would want to nap all the time for sure, like in the middle of the day. And you know, it's just like a it's just a safer thing to do, right? And, and it makes sense because in depression you're kind of in like a defensive mode, right? And you don't really want to face the world, so... And what's the least damaging thing you can do to the world? <laughs> Lose <Sweet>. consciousness. <laughs> yeah. You, you will not yeah. kill anybody if you were passed out. Yeah. You, know, you will not no make anyone's done. life worse if you were passed out. You know, you will not bring uh, a dark cloud upon your social group if you were passed out. You know what I mean? You won't yes. overeat. There's so many excuses you can make to yourself about, okay, the least amount of damage I can do right now is to just pass out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, very good point. yeah, so I think it's, it's very, uh, very important to just be very rigid with your sleep schedule, but I guess, and melatonin, like you said, that's, uh, that's a big one. I take about 15 milligrams every day before I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's just a part of my routine. It just, I know that it, uh, it knocks me out faster, keeps me out for longer, but one of the things that really bothers me about it, and I don't know if this happens to anyone else, but it's the, uh, the dreams. Like I have mm-hmm. the most intense, vivid like, eight-hour feature-length movie dreams, <laughs> where I, I remember almost everything about it, and it's just like, can I just have a night of blackness where I can just reset yeah. my mind without having to wake up and be like, what the hell was that? Where did I just, <laughs> where did I just come back from? Maybe a little too much stimulation. A little bit. Maybe it's, right. uh, yeah, maybe too much social media. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, let's see. Uh, on to the, this other one here. Uh, number five, anger or irritability. Yeah, I, I, I definitely get this one. Uh, so this might be, uh, the feelings of agitation, restlessness, or even violence, or maybe even violent fantasies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting because one of my counselors, um, told me that, um, depression is anger turn inwards. And I think that makes, that makes yep. a lot of sense because 
you know, you're frustrated a lot. You're really unhappy with your life in general, maybe. Yep. And just a lot of things aren't working the way that you idealize them to be, right? So with a lot of that frustration, it really, you know, it does a number on your system. Definitely. Right? But, and I think the point you bring up there, which is important, is that, like, once the anger is turned inwards, there's only so much inward anger that you can really tolerate before it yeah. starts to spill out the sides and it starts yeah, to the things place it to other people. Absolutely. And, and you know what I, I've been, I've, I, I've so many, not so many. I mean, I have a couple of distinct memories where I remember snapping on people Yeah, and then feeling so bad about it afterwards. Cause like they did like absolutely nothing wrong, but like just in the situation, I just had to be mad at somebody other than myself for a change. And, yeah. that, and that was the easiest pressure release valve that I could accomplish. And I'm, I realized that's a, it's a horrible strategy. <laughs> yeah. You probably don't want to be lashing out at random people. It just it doesn't really work for anything that's good. But that's the thing. Like, you feel like you're kind of beside yourself in a way. Like, it just sort of happens. And these are, like, one of our unconscious defenses that we use, in a sense, to expel that, that anger, right? Definitely. The, the way this manifests sometimes for me when I'm, like, right in the depths of it is, like, I start to get these, there's, like, a, not really a voice, per se, it's not, like, an auditory hallucination, right. but it's more of, like, a thought pattern where I'm thinking, man, I know exactly how I could hurt that person, and I know yeah. exactly how I could get away with it. You know what I mean? Sure, and sure. and I, st- I have to stop myself, because if, if you allow yourself to go down this path, it doesn't stop. It's not like, oh, okay, yeah. so your imagination runs through these permutations and all of a sudden finds, oh, okay, well, now they're dead. In my mind. So now I'm not mad anymore. It's like, no, now you're even more pissed and you're just going to look for some other target. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you got to catch yourself early, early on and ask yourself if that's really the way you want to think. Yeah. Because we do have a certain degree of control over our thoughts, but it does take quite a bit of energy to redirect them onto something else. Yeah. And, yeah. You, and you don't want to, I guess, suppress them in maladaptive ways. You want to feel it, but then catch yourself and move on, right? Because yeah. I guess suppressing it... Uh, might not be the best idea either because it, it'll probably just build up and bottle up and you're probably just going to blow up on somebody anyway. So, you know, yeah. it, realize that you're having these thoughts, you know, consciously acknowledge it and then just yeah. move on. Yeah, identifying it yeah. Is, is really... Like if you allow yourself to feel the anger, the yeah. anger will sort of feel acknowledged and go away. I don't really yeah. know how to describe it any better than that, but... You can and you can express the anger, yeah, in more appropriate ways too, like through exercise or martial arts, or tr- more traditionally art. when we were younger, heavy metal. That was exactly. The, uh, I was just know, about to mention. You yeah. know, I, I find now that like I'm a lot less angry, and I, I don't seem to relate to metal as much as I used to. But the metal yeah. I, I listened to, like you know, like Metallica and all that back in the day, like it's it, it wasn't quite as angry as the metal that I hear now. <laughs> True, because I mean, I, you got to hear what they were saying, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff you hear now, it's just sort of like, okay, I have no idea what your point is because I don't even understand if you're speaking the same language as me. <laughs> but a lot of it sounds similar to me yeah. too. I mean, like the l- love the double bass, you know. I yeah. mean, that's like a you know great riffs and all that, but no idea what the point of this song is. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, making sure to keep your anger under control and notice when you're getting irritable, and I don't know. Figure out a way of releasing that pressure a little bit, because if you don't, it's it's just going to lead to too much stress, and that stress can have such a negative impact on your body over time. Sure. Like it's just like it's just like leaving the afterburner on, like that fight or flight response. It's like if you're not running away from a saber tooth tiger, 
you know, you can't stay in that state for weeks at a time and expect nothing bad to happen. Of course. So, next up at number six, we have a loss of energy. And this is quite a pronounced effect that people will notice once they really fall into a depression. And you might think that there's a medical issue, and frankly, there there very well could be. So, you want to make sure you rule that out first. But if there's not a, pardon me, a medical issue or anything like that, this is likely just one of the uh, positive symptoms of depression. So, things like feeling fatigued, sluggish, physically drained... Your whole body is going to feel really heavy, and even the smallest tasks can be exhausting. So even things like dressing yourself or brushing your teeth or, you know, packing a lunch for the next day, planning ahead, these things seem so overwhelming and exhausting that they don't even seem worth the the limited energy that you have left. But I think a lot of this is just the way the body and the mind will sort of, I guess, restrict the amount of energy you're putting out because mm-hmm. they never want you to use 100% because that doesn't mm-hmm. seem like a good strategy. You always want to have a bit in reserve for emergency purposes, yeah. right? So I think it, it, it almost, like, you know, you've heard that phenomenon where, like, the, you know, the mother is able to lift a car that's pinning her child or something. You know, I don't know yeah. if that's ever happened, but that's the idea, right? They, you're able to muster this level of strength you never thought would have been possible otherwise, but you'd have to have a situation that you are you can recognize would justify it on a very mm-hmm. primal level. And uh, I think what happens is with depression, that, that threshold, it's sort of like the opposite Right, instead of you getting all this extra strength because the situation demands it, you lose all this strength because your brain thinks the situation demands it. Yeah, does that make it's sense? Like your mind and your body—they're like compensating it automatically. Yeah. it's like you are severely you. wounded. We have to minimize your level of expenditure because yeah. you're going to need all of this energy just to heal yourself and stay alive. Yeah, yeah, and I, I when I'm like this, I tend to complain. Yeah, just being tired a lot, right, and um. And there was something else. What else? Would oh, be? yeah. Also, posture. Like, you'll notice mm-hmm. your posture won't be as good. Well, yep. it'll be harder to, you know, keep your shoulders back and everything. And I think also one's tone of, tone of voice changes as well. Like, sounds more lethargic. When, yep. When someone's, I, I I've, notice I've, it within myself. That I've heard people so... tell me that as well, where it's, uh, you know, off and on, they can hear uh, a bit of a difference. And... Yeah, I suppose that makes yeah. sense. It's uh, it's the way you... Like, it's more flat. A little bit, yeah. yeah. A little more monotone. There's not a lot of that pitch variation to it. Yeah. So exactly. it's uh, a little bit more boring to listen to, and that, that doesn't help either, right? But, I mean, yeah, like, I, I like what you mentioned about the posture as well, because even Peterson mentioned that in Chapter 1, right, where you got to keep those shoulders back, stand up straight. And mm. there there is a, a, a feedback loop that will occur within your body, right? And this is also a good way of keeping your testosterone levels up. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that you guys should also check out if you haven't had a test done yet is get your testosterone levels checked because they have been on the decline for the past 60 years. Right now, we have about <laughs> the equivalent testosterone on average of people about 30 years older than us. Wow. You know, what, like where they're, you know, the generation gaps yeah. and stuff. So yeah. I think it's important to make sure that uh, you maintain a good testosterone level, but I don't think, you know, using endogenous or the right word where you have to put it into your body from mm-hmm. the outside it, that's probably not a great solution because then you're just going to produce less of it so i think if there are natural ways that you can boost your testosterone back up like posture and exercise i think that's going to be a much better solution to getting that chemical level back up to where it ought to be so Absolutely. and i think that does uh again segue us nicely into point number seven self-loathing so again uh low testosterone will probably turn you into a self-loathing soy boy and you probably want to avoid that <laughs> so uh, this is going to be characterized by feelings of weakness and guilt. 
and you're going to harshly criticize yourself for your perceived faults and mistakes. Now, I know I'm I'm pretty guilty of this myself. I'm uh, definitely my own harshest critic, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. We all are. And this this um this connects nicely to what Mike Cernovich talked about like your relationship with yourself, how you talk to yourself and your self-talk and you know, being aware of if you're telling yourself like I'm a failure or I always do things wrong and um, yeah, paying attention to those thoughts because you can also counter them as well because, you know, even if you do think you are a failure, it's important to consider that failure isn't really final and failure is a necessary component for success, you know? So um, you want to fail to forward. do great things. Yeah, you, you're going to you're going to stumble a little bit and it's, you know, we yeah we will fall down sometimes too but um it doesn't mean that you are absolutely you know a failure and everything and it's likely that you're blowing it out of proportion too yeah and wouldn't that uh, the self talk you were talking about i can't remember if it was cernovich or hell it might have just been a meme on facebook for all i know <laughs> but uh one of the phrases that i've heard about this was like if you if a friend were to talk to you like you talk to yourself you probably wouldn't be friends with that person for very long. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So you probably want to, as Peterson says, treat yourself as someone you're responsible for taking care of. Because mm-hmm. fundamentally you are, right? Like you have to take care of yourself. There's not going to yeah. be anybody else that's going to do it for you. So if you talk to yourself <laughs> like you hate yourself, that's that's probably not good, right? I mean, if, if you were responsible for taking care of someone and you constantly talk shit to them... I don't think they're going to improve very much, right? No, no. And um, you might think that, you know, it's just, you know, words and thoughts, but it really, really has a big deal. It really has a big impact, especially as it accumulates and as it becomes a more habitual thought pattern, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because that's the way way our neural patterns are wired to work. The, the, I guess the, the connections that are used most often get most strongly reinforced physically. Like the, the actual neurons that wire together. The wire, neurons that fire together wire together. Perfect. That's yeah. even better. Soundbite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, something you want to keep an eye on. And if you notice you are partially criticizing yourself, you probably want to stop and uh, use a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy on yourself and ask yourself if that's really true. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be elements of truth to it, but if you exaggerate and blow your own faults out of proportion, it's probably just as bad as blowing your own successes out of proportion. It, it's not giving you an accurate reflection of reality. And, uh, yeah. Yvonne, did you hear uh, Molyneux's most recent uh, live call show? Oh, mm. the, the last one. He went on this, like, epic rant about the truth. Like, you know, the truth isn't nice. The truth doesn't care about you. The truth is a bomb that will rip your entire world right. apart. And it's like, holy shit, he's right, man. <laughs> like, yeah. It, as soon as you start getting that little bit of a dose of truth and you start sort of seeing, like, what your actual problems are rather than the ones that you imagine, you realize, well... Yeah, I, I got a lot of work to do, but at least I can do something about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and there's definitely empowerment that too. Sure. So let's talk about uh, number eight here, some of the reckless behavior that what you can get into as a means of escaping from some of these uh, more uncomfortable feelings. So this could include things like substance abuse, convulsive gambling, reckless driving, or dangerous sports. So uh, for me, I was never much of a gambler. I could, uh, you know, as a Scotsman, I could never see the point of of gambling like it's just <laughs> why would i give these people money in the hope of earning 
more money back. It just it's not a when game. A really small chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? Yeah. So uh, I mean, on the other hand, substance abuse is something that I have struggled with a little bit. Uh, I've cleared it up, but it's, it's it's a part of my past that I always remember, and it keeps me thinking. Like, okay, well, if I had just not done that, where could I be now? Mm-hmm. So I, I realize now that it's when we engage in drug and alcohol abuse, it's a way of uh, escaping both boredom and the extreme negative feelings that come with dealing with life's suffering. You right. know what I mean? It, but it, but the thing is, it it just tricks us into thinking we're dealing with it when we're not. We're just ignoring it, and it makes us okay with ignoring it. Yeah, yeah, totally. But like, maybe we shouldn't be okay with ignoring it. Maybe we should just face it head on, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of kicks the can down a little bit further, and again, of course, if it becomes habitual, then it just creates, you know, another another feedback loop, right? And, um, yeah, I mean, I've noticed, like, drinking, like, with myself, too, in um, university, and again, I thought, like, I was more invincible back then, and I can handle it, and I wasn't really considering the buildup of that those were the days drinking yeah yeah yeah. but then you know once i you know i took a stand and really um stopped stopped drinking and and smoking weed like it really like helped clear things up and helped my mood definitely and it's uh it's one of these things that it the the withdrawal symptoms are usually the, the thing that we have to start dealing with like if you're feeling really bad and then you dive into a bottle or a bunch of drugs it's it might work for the first, like, might might be the first week, but then mm-hmm. after that, you're just doing the drugs and the drinking just to get rid of the withdrawal symptoms, yeah. just to feel how you felt before you started. Yeah. And, and it, not only is it extremely expensive and damaging to your body, but you're just wasting time, and now not only do you have to cope with your original problems, but you now also have to come overcome all the substance abuse, and it's like, why would you burden yourself with that? It's... Yeah, you don't want to have to rely, really, on something else like that, just exactly. to kind of keep you somewhat (laughs) perceived stable right yeah you don't ever want to give that much power to something you know what i mean Mm -hmm. especially externally especially externally yeah it's uh it's those externalities that i guess give us the illusion of control sometimes where it's Mm -hmm. like oh well if i just do this i'll feel okay but i think south park characterized it the best way about how weed makes you okay with being bored and i think this is one of the most insidious things about it that not a lot of people are willing to acknowledge because, yeah, yeah, it's it's probably not as bad as a heroin addiction. Yeah, I think we could probably all ignore, mm-hmm. acknowledge that. And you probably, yeah. it's probably not as bad as meth, you know, or, or cocaine or ecstasy or all these other harder drugs. But it, well, the insidious thing about it is just that fact, is that people don't see it as a serious drug. And yeah, it probably isn't by comparison in a lot of ways. But the way it's going to get you is because it seems so innocuous, but it, you realize after doing it for so long that you kind of have to keep doing it in order to sleep. You have to keep doing it in order to eat and have any sort of an appetite. You have to keep doing it in order to enjoy the things you used mm-hmm. to enjoy. And it all of a sudden, it becomes the most important thing in your life. And it's not like all the other things in your life just sort of move down the priority list. It just brings the entire list down so that everything underneath it just becomes less enjoyable. Yeah. So you got yeah. to be very, very careful about uh, substance abuse. It's a really good experience. It's. I think. I think Peterson kind of had it best when he said, like, you know, you have to negotiate with yourself how you're going to to tolerate these temptations in life. I mean, it's it's not, I guess, 
an ideal solution to just say, okay, well, I'm just going to be completely abstinent from all drugs and alcohol, and I'm just never yeah. going to expose. It, maybe, to... maybe that works for some people. Maybe it, it, yeah. it does, but it's. It, I don't think that's the majority of people. I think a lot of people are are going to have a glass of wine here and there, have a beer every now and then, maybe smoke a joint or two on the weekend. But if you don't keep that in balance, it can spiral out of control very, very rapidly. Yeah. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't you rather spend your money on something that's going to pay you back in the future rather than something that's going to make your future more difficult? Right. Very good points. For sure. So let's uh, move on to number nine, uh, the concentration problems. And again, this is something that can result both from the substance abuse and from depression itself. So this is going to be things like trouble focusing, making decisions, or even just remembering things. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of where the concentration problems manifest in my life is that I, I turn inwards so much that I can't look outwards. Like, if I'm trying to focus right. on doing something at work, I'll just be working away, and all of a sudden my mind will just drift to something completely unrelated that I'm kind of worrying about in the back of my mind, and then I'll I'll realize I've been sitting there for five minutes staring at the same screen, and I haven't done anything because mm. I've just been thinking. I've just been stuck in my own head. And I think that is one of the biggest things about depression is that you just you turn inward and you can't you can't get out of your own head. Yeah. You know, so that's yeah. why I, th- I find things like taking walks and, uh, you know, recognizing the feelings of, you know, the sunlight on your skin mm-hmm. and the wind in your face and the smells in the neighborhood and the sounds and bringing yourself more mindfully into the present yeah. moment is very, very helpful for me. Yeah, mine. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, if, if you have the same thing, absolutely. Yeah, I was just going to say mindfulness and meditation has been very, very helpful because like you said it gets you in touch with those with those details and just that having that focus on those details it helps you get your attention away from yourself whatever problems you're ruminating on mm. and you know yeah like they have this kind of exercise in um one of these books uh it's i think it's called getting through um the mindful way through depression yeah, I got that one, where yeah. they um they ask you to basically take a raisin and just eat it for like 10 seconds and feel its texture like in your mouth, right? And it's simple exercises like these and also the deep breathing that um, that may help you, you know, get in touch with your thoughts. But at the same time, it's um, it's just that act of focus in a way and also focus away at, at some other things too to kind of like distract you away from that turning inwards well right and the deep breathing it'll help you calm your nervous system your amygdala of course yep. right and as we've heard the world is full of an infinite number of facts mm. so if you choose to focus on just the internal you're ignoring there's so many external facts you could be looking at instead like wow this grape is now a raisin and <laughs> now it's way sweeter and i could have just taken down that whole box in one shot and never even thought about it. But if I take each one and eat it individually, all of a sudden I have to focus so much on that that I am not really thinking about my own problems. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I'm just going to say making decisions too. Like it seems like, it seems like the most simplest thing, like going to a restaurant and deciding what you want to eat on the menu. seems like it's like the biggest, like, you know, most important thing, but you're so anxious about it too at the same time. And Mm -hmm. you want to, you know, make sure that you're eating something. That's just like an example I have, but it's like, it's these constant um, decisions in your day-to-day life that may seem like blown out of, blown out of proportion. And um, it just makes, 
Yeah, and it's just funny because they're like these decisions that you probably wouldn't normally think so heavily about, right? But because you're in that de- depressed state, that they, um, yeah, just focus on them more, and you get you get kind of irrationally nervous about them. In a sense, that's what I found. Feels like there's a lot riding on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so let's see here. All right, number ten. Unexplained aches and pains, so the kind of psychosomatic response to depression where your body starts to have all these weird physical symptoms that don't seem to have any sort of physical manifestation, but things like back pain, uh, headaches, aching muscles, or stomach upset, things like that. Mm. Uh, I mean, I I get back pain probably just because my glutes are really weak, (laughs) and I sit in a chair for most of the day and I don't do enough exercise on my back. So if you don't, your back is just going to be sore. Uh, I've noticed this if uh, if I've been sedentary for a while and then I go out for like an hour walk, how stiff and sore my back is at the end because my body's like just not used to holding myself upright for that long. And then I think, oh my God, like <laughs> I kind of take control of that too because uh, the body's not used to being upright. Uh, that's the sign I've been sitting down for probably probably too long. Yeah, and the body really, yeah, communicates to us you know, various ways, right? And I notice I tend to get way more headaches when I'm depressed. And um, I was getting more back pain, like, around the wintertime. But partly, part part of that was because I wasn't wearing my orthotics. And um, where I work, like, I'm on my feet a lot and everything. So it just just kind of, um, yeah, that was a kind of a um, reoccurring pain. But when I started using those orthotics, I just... That was just one thing that I kind of forgot forgot to do, right? But once I, you know, did something about it, it, it relieved it a bit, right? Hmm. And just getting that, just getting, you know, at least some of that pain relief really can make a difference and feels like a progression, you know, getting, getting better. So. Definitely. So that's uh, the list of the 10 uh, noticeable positive symptoms of depression. So we're going to move on to some of the external factors that can contribute a little bit. And first up is uh, going to be stress. Now, this can come from any variety of uh, of life situations that kind of feel threatening to our long-term survival. And these are activating mechanisms that are, that are ancient, that, that would keep us alive. You know, when uh, there was a threat to our physical safety, like an animal, like uh, maybe a predatory reptile or a predatory cat, or predatory bird. <laughs> like everything used to kill us. Everything used to kill us. So this this is a very very sensitive mechanism. So if uh, also things like group uh, group isolation uh, is another one. But if if we perceive that we're being cast out of a group, that used to mean almost immediate death mm-hmm. back in the ancient world. Like if you were cast out of the village, you're fucked. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's you're beyond redemption. There's just nothing that's going to save you. Right. Yeah, uh, I was just going to say, though, like what you were saying about surviving um, against those animals, mm. like that would activate our fight or flight response. And if that and if that if that is constantly activated, that wears down our system even more, too. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we that used to shut off as soon as the threat was gone. It's like, right. all right, sweet. We managed to outrun the saber tooth tiger. But now it's like, oh, man, I really hope I didn't hurt the saber tooth tiger's feelings. <laughs> like, and, and that would bother us for like a week. Yeah. You know what I, <laughs> yeah. So it's just another thing, one after the other, that yeah. wears down the body. Exactly. So uh, your home life as well. Now, if uh, if your home life isn't really sorted out and 
God knows a lot of people's home lives are not sorted out at all. Yeah, if your parents are yelling at each other on, like, a daily basis or, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, if things aren't working out at home, if you've got uh, problems like that, it can be very difficult to, I guess, turn yourself towards the world when you're so busy focused on what's going on at home. Even if there's nothing you can do about it, I mean, it's still uh, an extremely stressful situation, and and it can lead back to the beginning of the list, that feeling of helplessness. Mm Mm-hmm. And you got, you know, yeah, relationship conflicts, whether they're, yeah, marital or real. Um, work, that is, that's a big area as well, because, you know, if you've got, like, a coworker who's not really treating you with respect, they're kind of displaying, like, a lot of low-value, low-quality behavior yep. towards you, and, you know, it's a thing that you have to deal with almost on a daily basis. And your survival kind of depends on it. Right, because that's yeah. where the money comes from. So yeah, exactly. You're starting to question: Do I really want to have to deal with this every time? But again, finances too, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, and also too, if you're putting a lot into your work and you're really making a big effort, and you know, and you're not really getting that reciprocated or um, recognized, that can you know that can build up some resentment too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I remember back in uh, when we were both in school, the uh, the stress and the demands put on by that were quite often you'd have to work a part time job to help pay for it. You'd have Mm -hmm. class, then you'd have to do your assignments, and you'd have to study and do all these other things. And you know what I mean? Now that that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, frankly, because it's something that if you keep doing it since you've graduated, it just seems like run of the mill. Mm -hmm. All right, I got to read this. I got to you know figure out what it means. I got to write up a summary of it. Like that's just sort of what you do if you're interested in the material, but in uh, at the age of 19, when you're coming out of, you know, government schools where everything's just sort of spoon-fed to you, and, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter if you fail, you're going to get passed anyway because we don't have to deal with your stupid ass next year, and, you know, <laughs> just keep going through the treadmill. Yeah. And, and it's still a big change, like, it's a big social change. Yeah, and you're away from well. home as well. Like, yeah. You know, you're living on your own. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, this is the first time you're solely responsible for yourself, and it, I guess if you haven't had a lot of exposure to... Uh, I guess the student lifestyle, I mean, you're going to be the person getting your stomach pumped on a Tuesday because you have no idea that drinking two six of fucking vodka is probably not a smart idea. You know what I mean? Because you've never done it before. So how much of this can I drink? Well, yeah. I guess you're going to find out. Yeah, that yeah. was probably too much. You know what <laughs> I mean? Test the limits. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, death of a loved one. That can be uh, that can be stressful as well. I mean, we, uh, you and I, we had just had a situation uh, like this a few months ago where one of my good friends uh, descended uh, literally into the underworld and mm-hmm. uh, never came back up. Uh, and unfortunately, that was uh, kind of kind of a shock to all of us. But uh, when, you, sure. when you deal with the death of someone that's your own age, someone that you grew up with, it's... Uh, Gives you a sense of your, morta- your own mortality. Oh, huge, yeah. I mean, we got a, we got a bit of a taste of that... Uh, now, like, or a few years ago, when you know the, when our grandparents start to pass away, but that's a little bit more distant, right? I mean, now if a few people would probably have had to deal with the deaths of parents or uncles and aunts, but now when it's your someone your own age, you know what I mean? It's uh, it can be very very stressful. Uh, I guess just depending on what the circumstances were, but uh, yeah, you got to you got to grieve, you got to go through the the normal process for that, and not uh, deny the impact. Uh, that can have on your life. Uh, like I, I had to deal. Uh, I, I haven't had a lot of experience dealing with death. To be honest, mm. uh, 
this was probably the first time I've ever actually had someone that was close to me die. So it was, uh, it was a strange experience, but because before that it was just, uh, I think my grandparents, uh, just two of my grandfathers, but they live over season i might have met them a handful of times across my life so that right. didn't have the same kind of impact uh to me but yeah but this was something someone like we went to school with mm-hmm. right and yeah we, we we hung out with their family we know yeah. we, we knew all of them there so when uh you know when we we heard about this it was uh quite a shock absolutely so uh yeah and i, and I remember i mean i kind of hit the bottle a little bit more than i might have otherwise and i might not have dealt with it as productively as i could have but you know, we live and learn. Of course. Uh, moving can be another big stressor. Like, uh, I just moved up here. It's going to be two years in in April. Actually, yeah, it's coming right up. So it's, uh, yeah. you know, fortunately you were there to help me out. And uh, John, mm-hmm. so, you know, having a couple buddies to help you move is a lifesaver because moving sucks. I swear, <laughs> I'm going to be buried in this backyard. I'm never moving again. That's... <laughs> Yeah, it's one of my least favorite activities. Definitely least sure. uh, least favorite activities. So. Um, with moving, I think for me, like that was one of the first times that I noticed I was depressed as a kid, like when I was around 11 years old, because I used to live in North York and I was moving up to Aurora mm. and, you know, just seemed like this small, small, boring town in the middle of nowhere, and I was going to have to leave all my cool Toronto friends yeah, go, behind. Yeah, go deal with these uh, waspy white assholes. <laughs> eh? Super rich. Yeah. I know, right? And yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I protested a bit to my parents about, you know, my friends, and of course they say, they say, yeah, make new ones, right? But, Suck it up, buttercup. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Basically. But, you know, that's, it's a big deal, especially, you know, if you're... Yeah, I guess at any age, right? And, well, uh, it, it reminds me that you mentioned that, like, that uh, hits you at 11. I remember, uh, for me, I mean, I've been dealing with depression off and on since I was about eight years old. Because I remember even as an eight-year-old, uh, like, having, like, a very clear idea in my mind as to the kind of conditions that would make my life no longer worth living. And, I, and I've always, I haven't really shared that with a lot of people because hmm. it's, people would be kind of weirded out, but it's like, you were suicidal as an eight-year-old? How does that even make sense? And it's like, I don't know how that makes sense. It didn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, uh, I, I guess I wasn't really well-equipped to cope with the stresses of the world, and mm. uh, I guess this was just my way of working out some sort of control over my own life, but... Uh, yeah, well, I appreciate bringing that up, because that's the thing, like, from, from an outside perspective, it may seem, the depression or those thoughts may seem completely irrational, but that's not really the point, right? You know, our feelings, our emotions, they kind of work in a sort of irrational way, at least from outside observing, but, you know, if we explore it more, and if we reflect and do some more of that inner work, they kind of do have a logic to their own sort of logic i i find anyway well they're also instantaneous you don't really have a lot of control over what you yeah. feel because it happens within a like microsecond yeah. like the second something happens the elephant starts turning right like jonathan right. height and, and his work on the rider and the elephant where you might be able to steer that elephant off the cliff you know like very very carefully but if, if he's going he's going you know what i mean yeah. like you're just hanging on for the ride so yeah, it's yeah. Uh, that's why I think having you know good emotional control and getting that resilience built up ahead of time is so important because you have no idea the kind of suffering life is going to throw at you. Yeah, you know what I mean. Even if things are going well, things could be done in a second. 
you have yeah. no no idea that it's going to come. So yeah. you, you got to be prepared for you, that. You got to have those those inner resources, yeah. that strong inner foundation. that. Now this next external factor is something that's going to be a big one, and I think this actually deserves its entire its entire episode: the uh, the stress of divorce. Right. Now the divorce courts in the Western world are heavily biased against men in terms of custody disputes and uh, child support payments and, and things like that. Where if you look at the kind of liabilities men are taking and in getting into marriage in the first place, I can see why so many of them are checking out of it. You know mm, what I mean? Men are checking yeah. out of marriage at an unprecedented rate, and it's sad because I believe very strongly in the institution of marriage, and I think there's they make a very good case. Like the MGTOW guys say, well, if the courts are so biased against us, why would we risk our own income and our livelihood completely? For the sake of a woman. And yeah, I mean, good point, man. I hear what you're saying, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. marriage isn't about that. Marriage is about finding a partner to help you bear the inevitable suffering of life, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's not going to be something that's like, you, you don't get married to be happy. You know what I mean? You, you snort a bunch of cocaine to be happy. You know I mean? <laughs> if, that's, if that's your goal in life, to be yeah. happy, it's like, go be, a, go be a drug addict. You'll be as happy till the day you die, which will be in about 36 days. It's pretty one-dimensional. Yeah, it's a it's a very very narrow like John Lennon view of the world. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, so next up, because uh, I I want to go into divorce, but I don't want to go into it in this episode because it's kind of a bummer. So we're gonna do that right. in another episode. Uh, totally. Financial difficulties. Now, I guess this is uh, you know one of the inherent problems. Well, problems. One of the features, I guess, of a capitalist system. But as much as we love capitalism, we also run we have to realize we can run out of money. Now, as opposed to socialism, where it's just other people's money you're running out of. <laughs> in this case, you can certainly run out of your own money, and you don't want to have that kind of a problem. You want to make sure that, I guess, your bases are covered. And I'm not a financial advisor, <laughs> so I don't want to be—I don't want to give anyone any financial advice because uh, there's some laws about only fiduciaries can do that. <laughs> I have no fiduciary responsibility yeah. to you, so I'm not going to give you financial advice. But well, there's definitely—I think there's definitely just a psychological like effect of being in debt oh yeah yeah here's 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 easy financial advice don't spend more money than you earn that's a good that's a good one that's i like that yeah you know what let's let's take it a step farther let's say don't spend money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like yeah yeah, i love that phrase it's so good right it's and unfortunately it is used as a, a rather low resolution criticism of capitalism but it's not really a capitalism problem i think it's more of a materialism or a consumerism problem mm-hmm. where it's sort of like mm-hmm. okay your status is something that you can buy rather than something that you have to earn and negotiate yeah it's like oh, oh you want to be more popular with your friends what you need is this new mazda rx8 with its wankle rotary engine yeah it'll drive up to nine thousand rpms your friends will think that'll be pretty cool when you're doing handbrake turns it's like i don't think any of my friends would think that i think they think i'm an idiot <laughs> You or know? line up at 5 a.m. for the, for the new $1,200 iPhone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gotta have that iPhone, right? Or, yeah, yeah you know what? I, I think it's funny that people will pay other people to sit in line on their behalf to buy that iPhone. It's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, I mean, as an Android user, I, I just laugh at that as in general, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, we could dedicate a whole episode to that. We could dedicate that. a whole episode to fucking Android and Apple fanboys, for sure. Uh, and in that same vein would be, uh, would be job loss. Now, again, this, I think would come back to that, uh, that survival stress, right? Where not only have you lost your primary source of income, 
you've also lost your sense of purpose, right? And your mm. sense of being a provider as a man. So that can be definitely one of the most stressful things outside of divorce that can probably happen to you. So I think it's important to always keep your skills up to date, always have something on the back burner, and always be looking. Yeah, we. I think we, we pretty much inherently need that routine. Yep. You know? it's, it's order, right? It's stability, yes. right? It's a Structure. routine, right? Where you can yeah. sort of, okay, well, every day I'm going to be doing this, and you can... Uh, you have a, a certain life and a social group that's built around your job, and I think that is a, a very important thing. That's why I'm, I'm kind of opposed to this whole, uh, you know, universal basic income, which is basically just socialism with a new name. Right, <laughs> so, right. okay, so we're just going to give people a bunch of money to pursue their own happiness? Okay, so what, we're all going to be painters and astronauts or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like, and if your job, and it also connects with job satisfaction, yep. like if you don't really feel that you're, deriving a certain amount of meaning or you can justify it enough then you know it might be harder to stay in that situation you know, mm-hmm. like another press and the uh the next one you got here is seasonal affective disorder this is something that hits you a little bit harder than i think it hits me yeah you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah so that's essentially um the reduced um daylight hours in the winter that lead you to feeling different compared to when like in the spring and summer so um yeah it's almost like uh it's got similar characteristics of depression that you'll feel you know hopeless sad tense stress and you'll your interest in your friends and activities will die down too so yeah it's it's a tough one but um there are um there are strategies for for dealing with it as well like they have special lights that Yeah, replicate. I was going to say you uh, use those light boxes that yeah, uh, they replicate um the similar amount of sunlight and they help you wake up and um so you're not like waking up in complete pitch black mm. and it it helps your yeah, it basically helps your brain uh, maintain yeah, a sleep schedule and um yeah, get some of that feeling from that the brightness of that light so it's um it's helpful but yeah it's it's strange because even just this last month we've had some days that it's been like 14 degrees and it's been like so warm so nice and just in that one day like i felt like a almost like a completely different person right and Mm -hmm. it's it's a tough thing because um you know you start to you start to worry like whether this is going to be a permanent thing like whether i'm gonna you know feel like this for like months and months but it could very well be that, you know, if you're not feeling well during those winter months, it's, it's seasonal affective disorder. And, um, so as you don't want to take it too personally. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, this is, I know this happens every winter. I should probably just prepare for it and winter's going to suck. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I've been able, I've been able to, yeah, um, implement some strategies in order to, to deal with it better. So I don't have to reach for antidepressants or else. Now you have uh, you have had some experience with those in the past, right? Like you've had you've used those before. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've used. Um, I've had tried Ciprolex, um, Fexor, and the last one that I, that I tried was Wellbutrin. I yeah, I remember that from uh, back in the day. That would be a popular one. Now, doesn't it, does it actually take like four weeks to take effect? Like a good month before you feel it? Yeah, that's pretty much fucked. all of them are are like that, and you'll have some some side effects too them out but um usually they'll go away mm. but some of them some of them have more long-term side effects like 
Now, I remember I did a video, and I, I remember you watched this video about uh, that I did on depression a couple of years ago, and I did mention this thing about uh, the antidepressants, and I had one guy in the comment section absolutely lose his shit on me for suggesting that antidepressants would be a good solution because some people can't afford them. Mm. So uh, I was just sort of, I didn't even respond to it because it, it wasn't really an argument, right? It's like, well, yeah, yeah. only two-thirds of the people that take them, it actually works, you know? That's, that's right. why it's, there's a bunch of them. Right, and that's why you got to have them have have you work with a doctor to try to figure out what's the best one for you, right? Yeah, in this reg- and in that regard, like everyone's kind of different. Like there isn't like a universal one that'll work for everybody, yeah. and it's hard to know like which neurotransmitter you're lacking or whatever, right? So there is kind of like an experimental element to find the one that. Yeah, no, the, uh, I remember they started off with, uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors, like the really, really old school ones, uh, then they moved on to tricyclics, and then now they're using what are known as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, yeah, yes, which actually work in a, almost the exact same mechanism as cocaine, hmm. uh, but it doesn't have the psychoactive properties, so what'll happen is, is the one synapse will send out a bunch of neurotransmitters across the synaptic gap to the other side, where one of them will bind. And then the rest of them will get sucked back up, repackaged, and fired out again. And this can happen up to about 500 times a second. This is how neurons right. communicate. So what selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors will do is they will block that reuptake process, and the serotonin will remain in the synaptic gap between the axon and the dendrite on the other side. And they will just randomly start binding on the other side, so the activity is boosted almost mm. two or three times. Um so that, that's one of the ways that you can keep more serotonin where it needs to be in order to have an yeah. effect and to just make that effect a little bit stronger. So Yeah, it creates a bigger buildup, yeah. essentially. Right? Now, in, uh, I mean, they're not... I think they the way I like to characterize antidepressants is I consider them kind of a first gear. Like, if you're like trying to start from a standstill on a hill, you know, that's sort of how I look at depression. You want to start in first gear to get yourself moving. And then maybe you can shift into second once you've got a bit of speed. So that would be more like moving into cognitive behavioral therapy or lifestyle changes, things like that. But if you literally can't get out of bed because mm. you're so depressed, you can't dress yourself, you have literally no motivation and wouldn't care if you literally just dropped off the face of the earth, that might be just enough to get you moving and start to realize that that's probably not yeah. an accurate thought process. But if... If, it, it might actually take a chemical intervention if that's how bad it is, right? Yeah, and if that's the thing that kind of gets you, you know, going and gives you a bit more drive, to like, yeah, to start taking feeling action. a bit better, yeah. taking action and changing your thoughts, then, you know, it's... It's, it's going to be better than not thing. doing anything, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and just keeping sliding down, yeah, so... Right. Um, but it's not... But, uh, you know, it's it, it is... It is kind of a band-aid thing. It's not going to solve your deep-rooted yeah. issues, let's say. So you can't... Usually, what's most effective is medication and counseling or therapy. Exactly, yeah. That right. seems to be what the literature suggests is going to be your best bet uh, mm-hmm. right off the bat. But it's like, if if, you're, if your entire family just died, if you just lost your job, if you just got a divorce, if you, know, you just realized you have stage 4 cancer, you're probably not depressed. You're probably just fucked. Like, your life is fucked. Like, they, yeah. there, there's no reason to think you wouldn't be depressed. Yeah, that's yeah. why it's, that's why I wouldn't consider that to be the same thing necessarily. It's like, you, I mean, that is, you'd obviously feel that way if that happened. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, who wouldn't feel that way, yeah. right? Why would anyone say that's a clinical problem? 
right? right? Obviously, you should react that way when your life is that far gone because all this shit just hit you at once, yeah. right? But it's like, you know, if you just kind of woke up the day and they realized you were out of milk and all of a sudden, like, you realize you just can't go on with your day, like, mm-hmm. and you can't figure out why. It's not like you're right. a snowflake or something like that. You just, you can't figure out why this milk thing is bothering you so much. That's more yeah. like what we're talking about here. This isn't, this isn't uh, the result of grief or things like that. I think that's why they actually have the, uh, some of the diagnostics actually will ask for things like that. Where it's like, are you, have you recently had a loss in the family or something else that would explain the depression? Yeah. You know, because if you have a readily available explanation, you wouldn't necessarily have to go to more in-depth thing. Well, how were you feeling before your entire family was killed? Oh, I was feeling pretty good. Well, how are you feeling now? Oh, I feel terrible. Well, obviously. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't see why you'd need a chemical intervention for that. Yeah. It's, you know, you'd have to grieve and have to go through that process. But For sure. Uh, moving on to these internal factors a little bit here. Uh, there is a genetic compre- uh, component to depression. Uh, it actually runs in my family down uh, my mother's side. My grandfather had it, so does my mother. And we've all dealt with it in our different ways, but it's uh, the black dog will keep returning every now and then when it needs to be fed. So. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, definitely the genetic component there. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it on both sides. Both pretty sides. Much. Both of my father. Both and barrels, my eh? Side. Yeah, Jesus. exactly. You're obviously much more uh, higher chance of experiencing that. Definitely. And yes. uh, drug and alcohol use, uh, we mentioned that before. Uh, if If that's something you've been struggling with for a while and then a bunch of things happen to you, then you're probably going to end up being less resilient than if you had maybe balanced the drug and alcohol use a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, diet and exercise, uh, those are going to be huge. If uh, if you get back into eating properly and exercising, I find a lot of the symptoms seem to abate fairly rapidly after getting yeah. back into that routine. Like, if you find that, uh, you know, life is stressing you out, just try to pick up a heavy weight until you think you're going to die. <laughs> and in that process... Your uh, your other problems seem a little bit uh, more minor by comparison, and I find it just kind of helps keep things in perspective. Yeah, I think it's one of the surefire ways to get more instant or faster results too. Yeah, and it's especially with diet, like it's easier to experiment. Yeah, so. yeah. There could be things like food sensitivities as well. It could be having an effect on your endocrine system, like your hormones. Uh, so if you're not eating. Or if you are eating foods that are having a very negative impact, like if you're gluten sensitive or something like that, you don't you don't mm. want to eat it because you're it's going to have negative impact on your body. Not everybody mm. is, but if you are, like maybe you're sensitive to sugar or sensitive to wheat flour or sen- you're allergic to it, but instead of it manifesting and you breaking out in hives, maybe it just has a serious effect on your hormone system, and then that can feed back into these feelings, right? So you got to be uh, be aware of that. Uh, Self knowledge is going to be a big one as well. Uh, you want to understand enough about yourself to know why you're feeling certain ways. Uh, and maybe that's not where we're at right now. Maybe we need to learn a little bit more about ourselves. And once we do, we're able to build that resilience a little bit more effectively. Yeah. And it, and if we know, you know, more about ourselves, we can kind of, we can kind of know that we're in these, we're in these states mm-hmm. and it's kind of easier to remind ourselves, you know, you know, despite how I'm feeling now, I know. Know, I can get, I can still get through this. There is, you know, there's a big chance thing things will change. And um, yeah, I mean, we're not really initially taught how to know ourselves, you know, unless we do it, we do it ourselves basically, or we see a therapist basically. And because it's it's hard to know, like 
our our deeper i guess intrinsic needs it's harder to be conscious of that unless some of the work is done Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so um it's important to really yeah pay attention pay attention yeah know what your triggers are as well like if you know that if i if i go and i eat an entire bag of cadbury's mini eggs this easter (laughs) i'm gonna feel like shit for a week like even you know yes, like uh, Peterson, that, yeah. yeah, like like Peterson and his daughter uh, Michaela, they have severe food sensitivities, and they had to work out what those were because it's he says it would knock him out for like a month. It's like if I eat yeah. the wrong thing, I'm not going to know about it for two or three days, and then I'm screwed for a month. Holy yeah. shit, that's a serious problem. Like, yeah, and knowing those pitfalls yeah. is is huge. Exactly, and that helps us. That helps us avoid falling into depression. Yep. Exactly. So know what you're sensitive to, know what triggers you, and get that self-knowledge necessary so you don't fall into these traps again. Uh, finally, would be cognitive distortions. So these would be the ways that we distort reality and the way we interpret it. So, mm-hmm. and you, they're they're habitual, like kind of like like black and white thinking, mm, like extreme yeah, thinking, like it can either be this or this without yeah. any consideration of another option. Always or never. Oh, that's a bad. Yeah, one. and um, there's no gray area, but. Mm-hmm. You know, no nuance. Yep. Nuance, yeah, exactly. And life and reality isn't like that. There's plenty of nuance. There's plenty of shades of gray. So, yeah, acknowledging those different shades of gray between black and white. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's just fundamental, I think, to our own. Right? And um, also, my one thing my counselor told me is that, yeah, life isn't always a progressive climb up. Because you can feel down on yourself because you're not always climbing up, but life is more like circuitous. It's like it's like going through a labyrinth in a way, with like different curves and different turns and corners and everything. It's messy. Up and down and messy. And yeah, yeah reality is messy, right? So um, Yeah, but it would be nice if they uh the plan we were given in elementary school was sort of like, okay, well, you just go all the way through grade 12, and then you go to university, and then you get some sweet job, and then you retire with a gold watch. It's like, oh, well, that sounds pretty easy. I just got to keep doing what I do. Oh, and wait. that's what our parents thought. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's like now, instead of like 10% of the population going to university, 60% of the population goes to university. And it's like, okay, well, now yeah. it's basically just the next high school. And that's why it's yeah. we can go into the corruption of academia and universities and later episode because there's a lot to go into there and i'm sure there's plenty of entertaining material to talk about but uh mal you mentioned this as well where it's like saying like well all the tall people are on basketball teams so if we just put people on basketball teams they'll get taller (laughs) no no it it doesn't work that way like you you don't don't get smarter going off to university you can improve your thinking and learn some new things but in terms of actually increasing your g factor and your iq like no it's not by Mm. by the time you're 18 it's 80% genetic. So mm. not a lot you're going to be able to do about that. Like if you get, if you're malnourished as a child, you're not going to reach your proper height. But mm. eating a ton of food when you're an adult isn't going to make you taller. Like you can't right. make up for that initial early environment, right. right? So do you want to talk a little bit about your early on experience with uh, with depression? Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned before, like when I moved to Aurora, when I was around age 11, um, I definitely felt sad, at least for a few months, and I just remember, I remember a lot of the days, like, weather-wise, being darker, that really stood out for me, and Mm. that could have been, like, you know, the preview of seasonal affective disorder as well, but, um, 
But yeah, it really took me a while to, yeah, get adjusted to my new surroundings. But um, yeah, eventually I did make, I did make some really good friends and, you know, lo and behold, as that happened, my, my mood started to lift, started to fit in more the school and the social setting and um yeah and also um the first time i moved to british columbia after i was done college um i went out there i lived with my sister and i was working at a uh computer job there and you know it's another big change thing mm -hmm. uh as well um and then after that i had a really I had a big boost in my mood when I got accepted to university and I had, I had my summer semester there and everything, everything was great. I was meeting people and it felt like a whole new chapter in my life opening up. And then I had a, I had my first fall semester at Simon Fraser University. And the thing with that school is that the way it's designed, like it's architecture, it's all, it uses a ton of cement and we're on top of a mountain. So there's a lot of fog and there's way less sunlight as well. So it's just a compound. It's just a gulag basically. Yeah. It's crazy. Like yeah. so much grayness. Oh, I know. Oh, I went to, uh, I went to Brock. So the, uh, the main building there, uh, the Schmone tower. Yeah. It's just a giant monolith of concrete. And then the other mm. building, uh, I can't remember what, Mackenzie Chown, I think it is, the uh, the hallways are zigzagged because the building was designed in the 1960s and the, the administration was worried about student riots. So they designed the hallways in such a way that you couldn't move a mass of people <laughs> down the hallway very quickly. That's, That's the, It's a safety design, wow. right? Which also means that getting from class to class is a fucking pain right. in the ass because everybody moves so slowly because you can't go anywhere yeah, and it's like yeah. well thanks riot police in the walls like yeah, yeah good crowding. job and it's it's funny you it's another one of those things like you wouldn't think like the design of a building could affect you so much yes yeah. but it's it's huge right it's, and this is uh, why postmodernist architecture is so disgusting it's why toronto is one of the ugliest cities in the world <laughs> <laughs> right oh wow another square how how utilitarian <laughs> I, I bet it's i bet it's Function is so much more important than its form. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I just want to mention too, like with depression, it's almost like a destructive use of your imagination because yeah. you're always thinking of these, these negative scenarios, like what's going to happen in the future. And virtually none of them really come true. Yeah. Like, even with like grades and stuff, it's so funny how much I worried over my grades. I thought I was going to like fail all my classes. Old, I did. I did all right. Um, it just kind of um, leads to how, yeah, it's so disconnected from reality, and um, yeah, it's just important to be, yeah, aware of how we're using our minds to um, to formulate things and whether they're balanced enough, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, there's a tendency to be a lot more anxious when you're depressed as well. And just a general fear of the unknown because you're you're in a more protective state. You just you don't want to really ruffle any feathers or you don't really have the energy to really explore things and maybe you don't want much change, so it's you're kind of it makes you more restrictive in a sense too. And yeah. it's another a combination of these factors that really um yeah, just really kind of uh, minimize your your experience and your openness to things. But but what I found is that when I 
when I changed my routine up in a certain way, like maybe I tried out, tried going to some different restaurants or maybe I walked in a different area of the city, um, just that sense of newness, it helps, um, it helps shift your brain away from what it's usually used to, I think. It forces it to adapt, go back into uh, the bottom-up processing. Mm. You know, and I, this is a very, very early on concept I learned in psychology about the difference between top-down and bottom-up processing, where top-down is more coming from, like, cognition down. So if you were, like, say, to drive the same route to work every single day, sometimes you'll get to work and forget how you got there, because it's mm. so routine to do it. Whereas yeah. bottom-up, you basically have to go from the senses up into cognition. So everything is completely new. You have no heuristics to base anything on. So you got to be much more on the game, on sorry, on the ball. Yeah. And uh, and that in itself focuses away from yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. More outward. Yeah, because you're mo- you're world. moving from the world into your mind rather than the mind out yeah. into the world, so to speak. Um. So do you want to talk a little bit about how we can go about overcoming depression? Because I know it's been. Uh, over an hour and we're getting along to this point so let's talk a little (laughs) bit about how we can actually start addressing some of these problems yeah well the one thing that i think is fundamental that's always worked for me is taking some self-responsibility and thinking about some things that maybe i could you know i could work on myself and um and the reason you want to do this is because you'll feel you just feel more in control of your life and your your destiny and one of the best feelings for me is that sense that I'm guiding myself to towards a purpose towards meaning you know and um that action of being part of that process it really um it's really invigorating and it really kind of it it changes things so, it's like you're demonstrating your own agency to yourself Right. You know what I mean? Like, say, yeah. see, idiot, I can do it. You know what <laughs> it's I mean? A confidence boost. Oh, too. for sure, right? And it's like... Yeah. And from there, it'll just build up from there, from that, right? And so, like, when I was in, when I was in university um, and I had that first depression, um, my brother suggested trying an acting class. So hmm. that was one of my... Um, that was what well, was part of my strategy. And I, I did that. And... Um, that'll pull you out of your comfort zone. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it did. It really did, Jeez. but it really, it was great because it opened up my mind to how acting worked and how there's a real psychological component to how the characters move through their story. They move like an arc, right? They start from one place and they move to the next. Yep. And um, the acting itself, it just got me in touch with different aspects of myself, maybe that I was neglecting. Um, it's just valuable to have that expression. One of my monologues was about being, was about channeling anger mm. you know being mad at my wife for, for apparently cheating on me so interesting there's a very cathartic aspect to it and um you know you want to the next big thing is focusing on your self-care and we mentioned diet a bit more um a bit before and um i found cooking more for yourself and eating out less is um is a big thing and you know trying some trying some new foods as well and you don't have to like go on like a complete diet of like you know just vegetables and you know vegan things or whatever Mm -hmm. you know you don't have to completely cut out you know going out going out to eat but you know just um the point is to explore and you know find some of the healthier foods that you still like 
well and incorporating that into your diet. Um, supplements like vitamin B12, and omega-369. Now on those ones there, uh, I actually had to start getting into the supplementation thing uh, last year, uh, B12 especially because you remember last year I had that problem with alopecia where, and if you guys haven't heard of this, it's for men it can be especially terrifying where what had happened to me was uh, a big chunk of the, of my hair fell out. Like, like progressively it started out this about the size of a dime, expanded to about the size of a quarter. And by the time it was at the end, it was almost the size of a baseball, uh, just a hole in my hair at the back of my head. Uh, and when I got some blood work done, they found out I had a vitamin B12 deficiency. And it, it wasn't the cause of it, but I started thinking, well, holy shit, maybe I'm not getting enough of this, and I probably should start supplementing that. Uh, eventually, I got treatment. Everything's fine. Everything's back to normal. But uh, that was kind of a scary experience, and it definitely mm. like launched me into a really nasty, depressive episode because I thought, oh man, this is it. I'm in my 30s. I'm going bald. That's it. Game over. Yeah. But yeah. everything kind of it was just it was just a temporary thing, and it came back. Uh, Omega three six nine. Uh, Omega three, I think, is going to be the most important one here. And uh, mm. I remember the, the author's name, but there was another book on depression. Uh, I was reading about uh, this guy. He has got he's got a new approach to it, and one of them was omega three supplementation because a lot of the foods that we have an excessive amount of omega six, and, oh, okay. and it has a kind of a hydraulic effect with omega three. Like when you get more of one, uh, okay, it, you got to keep them in balance. Yeah, uh, like DHA and stuff like that. So. Uh, what can happen is, is if you eat a lot of uh, corn-fed or grain-fed uh, meats, they contain an excessive amount of omega-6, but not enough omega-3. So if you eat a lot of grass-fed uh, beef, because the grass has the omega-3s in it, and mm. that's how the uh, you get that into the beef. But if you just have cattle eating nothing but corn, it's basically just to fatten them up and make them mm. juicier, but it doesn't have any nutrition compared to them eating grass, because okay. that's what they're supposed to eat, right? <laughs> cows aren't supposed to eat corn <laughs> they're supposed to eat grass yeah, yeah. so so if you nice. if, if you get grass-fed meat that's gonna have a lot more omega-3s i take uh like three of these giant horse pills of omega-3s every day you can do the fish oil if you're really disgusting for <laughs> like, <laughs> if you want to have that fishy taste for whatever reason but uh the distilled uh fish oil is gonna be uh your in my opinion your best bet for that and it's not really that expensive so if it's a simple fix it's probably going to be a better place to start if uh, you don't need to do antidepressants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then exercise as well. What uh, what, what do you do for uh, for exercise? So, um, you know, with with low energy, when you're in a depressed state, you don't have to you don't have to go you don't have to go to the gym. Basically, like kill yourself. Mm. You know, you you can just start small even if it's like even if it's just like 10 15 minutes walking on the treadmill like that that is effective in and of itself i would say and again you'll build up more energy if you keep keep up with it you know get into a routine yeah because even cernovich was saying this in guerrilla mindset where he was saying just go to the gym it's like even if you're not going to work out just go and stretch to get into the habit of going to the gym it's like, yeah. he, he said he'd go all the time. He'd just go there and he'd just stretch. Just so he's in the habit of getting in yeah. there, seeing the familiar faces, just get, making it part of his routine. So One thing leads to the next. Exactly. Right? And then you can start training. So for, like for me, I don't, when I go to the gym, I'm only there for half an hour. Like mm. I, I go in, I do my maybe 10, 15 minutes of cardio to get my blood up, and then I'll just do my uh, specific muscle groups on the weights. I don't, I don't go crazy. I mean, I'm sore as shit by the end of it. And yeah. Like I work until the muscle doesn't want to go anymore. But yeah, I'm not like pushing myself to injury and I'm not really 
super into the bodybuilding thing, so it's uh, it's not something I'm, I guess, all that at risk of injuring myself by going too hard over. Yeah, you want to have good form. You don't yeah. want to be one of those guys that constantly drop the dumbbells <laughs> on the floor. Yeah, it's I've often wondered how long I'd have to work out in order to be that guy. <laughs> like, when do I get to the point where I get to drop weights and just, yeah. like, make all these grunting sounds? And all, but they actually have signs up to tell you you're not allowed to make grunting sounds. <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess they've already thought of that. Yeah, I think... It's optimal to have a, a combo of cardio yeah. and weights, too. Yeah, so when on the days I don't do weight training, I'll try to walk out for at least five kilometers uh, yeah. or an hour or whatever that is, totally. just, just to get the blood moving. And uh, I'll usually throw on a Jocko podcast or uh, one of these other podcasts just to give me something to listen to while I'm walking around. And, yeah. I, and I find when I listen to podcasts when I'm walking, I can remember almost the entire thing. Because hmm. every, every time they say something, I'm also associating it with where I am at that time. So when I think of them saying it, I also remember where I was when I heard them saying it, which is bizarre because it's like, because I can almost play back. Like if I listen to the podcast again, I can remember where I was when they mentioned that specific point. So it kind of helps, I guess, draw a map through the entire podcast so that I can help listen, remember everything. I don't know if that makes sense for me. It's interesting how the memory. I know. I know. And it's, uh, it's bizarre in the sense that they, they haven't really found any limits to long-term memory. Because we still don't really know how it works. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it yeah, seems yeah. to be that the, the different areas of the brain all encode uh, their portion into the hippocampus. So you're still using the entire brain just to remember it. Hmm. Right? Uh, so hobbies. Yeah. Um, so with this, like, you know, if you've got, if you've got some interests or, you know, some pastime that, you know... You're pretty sure you'll derive some some pleasure from it. Doesn't hurt to you know dig it up and you know start start doing it. I mean, with me, like I like to play, you know, I like to play video games. I try not to do it too excessively. Usually, I'll limit it to like an hour or so, right? But mm-hmm. um, you know, um, just um, just doing that, and um, also I got more into writing. So yeah. writing out some essays and um and also journaling as well um you know getting getting in touch with those things maybe that you've neglected for a while um it can be it can be a uh, it can be really helpful like i remember even back in the university when i i just started playing grand theft auto san andreas mm. and that is like such a classic game oh, yeah. and it's really it just those things they can really they can just help you you know get through it and again kind of get your mind focused away from you and onto something else and um, yeah and eventually you'll you'll start to derive more pleasure for it from it I find mm-hmm. so um, the next one you know this this filters into the social fighting that social isolation because when we're depressed we kind of we tend to think oh people aren't calling me you know, because they don't want to, they don't want to, you know, see me or whatever. They don't care about me, or maybe I did something to them in the past, but it's a really, it's really valuable, um, to just reach out to somebody, um, either to phone them or to see if they want to meet up for a coffee or whatever. And just, um, just having that human connection I've kind of rediscovered is just so helpful. And, you know, if, if there's someone you can really confide in, you can tell them about you can tell them about what's going on in your in your inner life and what you're struggling with, and this can open up like a really good conversation. And you know they 
they'll likely be able to relate something back to you and you won't feel as alone mm. in, in your suffering, right? And um, so, you know, I think we're, we're social we're creature, social creatures. We're, we're built to, you know, connect with each other. And um, it's so easy to get stuck in that rut of, you know, just staying at home time and you know maybe sometimes you should allow yourself to do that but definitely don't definitely. but don't um if if you got like an inclination to to connect with to talk with somebody then you know by reach all out means, yeah yeah definitely. it's there's nothing yeah it'll likely help you out now uh reading and educating yourself on the subjects that interest you uh i find that to be a great way of taking your mind off of your own problems mm. by sort of taking in new knowledge. Like I, the books that I bought off Amazon have taught me more than everything I've ever learned in school. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if that makes sense to people who are currently in school now that think it's sort of the be all end all of education. But I'll tell you that the second you stop learning is the second you start dying. For sure. You know, that's, that's the start of the downhill decline. So if you want to keep the mind working, you want to keep the, uh, the knowledge flowing and you want to keep that anger at bay, having a good understanding of reality and keeping that in perspective is going to be a great way of uh, not ruminating on things that you might be blowing out of proportion. Yeah, and seeking those seeking those things, yeah, outside of school was really helpful for me because that's how I kind of learned more about um, the other psychotherapists like Carl Rogers and stuff that mm-hmm. was outside of what I was being taught at school, right? So it can be really valuable and inspiring. Definitely, and I think it's also important to keep an eye on how you spend your time and what activities you might need to cut down on, as mm. well as the activities you want to boost. Like, you probably want to keep your social media check in use. Like, right now, I have a policy of only using social media for about an hour a day, if nice. that. So I'll use it on my breaks at work, yeah. and I try not to use it at home. Right. Uh, just because that, that limits me to an hour a day, because I find that if the more you look at it, the, the more pissed off I tend to get. <laughs> Yeah, I just, just get sucked in. I more. get sucked into it. It's like oh, I'll just I'll just keep scrolling for another like another two yeah. things, and it's like oh, I just never stop. Next man. thing you know, forty minutes is gone. Oh yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, it's, it's like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> one more video. One more. Oh, no, yeah, you gotta you gotta stop doing that. It's like I I don't need to know the best way to spool a fishing line. Like it's I need to sleep. <laughs> I gotta yeah. stop going down the rabbit hole, right? Yeah. Exactly. You know, sometimes I find I'll be watching videos that I have no idea why I'm watching it, just because it's it's fascinating. And I don't really want to go to sleep. Like I remember watching one the other day about how to uh, how to shift in an eighteen wheeler truck, like how to actually go through the mm. gears and stuff. And they have like a high and a low, and then there's like a, a basement and then a mid level and then the top because they have eighteen gears, but they only have six positions on the stick. So there's a way you have to do it and a way you have to shift, and it, it sounds super complicated. Like truck drivers, like I don't know if I could ever do that. That's a super challenging job to be able to pull that yeah. off. And unfortunately, I think a lot of them are going to be out of work in the next 20 years when the automated trucks start flying down the highway, because it's coming. Right. Guaranteed within right. our lifetime, the biggest employer of people, the job of driver, is going to be gone. Hmm. And then what do we do? I think it's... that's that's a problem that we got coming, and it's a wall we're all going to be running into. Yeah. And a lot of people have, like, I guess, proposed this uh, you know universal basic income, right. but it's like, well, who's going to pay for that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, where's the money being extracted? Are you just printing it and giving it to people because it's worth nothing? Important question. Very important question. <laughs> so, um, uh, you also mentioned here listening uh, to inspiring podcasts and audiobooks. Yeah. Um, like, I, like last year, I listened to um, uh, The Hero of a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. 
and that was uh, that was one of the first um, Audible books I, I downloaded, and it just helped me kind of deal with my morning commute because I was mm-hmm. just getting really tired of listening to like the news radio and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, and the advertisements. And, There's so many yeah. ads on radio. I can't believe it. Exactly. You know, so it's nice to just be able to sit down and, and listen to the same, I guess, either podcast or uh, yeah, audio any book. audio audio book. Right, yeah. you just have that consistency. It makes you really enjoy the time on the road. You know? Yeah, and you can learn something, too, on that <laughs> sort of downtime, too, right? Well, yeah, like, it's like for me, every week I drive, uh, gotta be like 900 kilometers a week, about 10 hours in the car, just getting to and from work yeah. every week, so it's, that's time that I don't waste. I mean, that's time that I'm listening to, you know, Molyneux, uh, Crowder, Ben Shapiro, Peterson, any of these guys that are gonna have a new perspective that I might not have thought of, and, yeah. uh, you know... I, I'm so convinced by their arguments at this point that they're basically just reinforcing my worldview. So. <laughs> uh, making a to-do list. Now, this is something uh, that's really important. If you guys have a Gmail account, get on Google Calendar, schedule your days in such a way that they are days that you would like to have, right? So you got to put in the time. you got to work. you got to put in your time for sleep. you got to put in your time for the commutes. And then you can schedule in all your additional tasks. But having a to-do list and having a, a constant running tally of what needs to be done uh, it's definitely a good way to keep chipping away at that stuff so that it doesn't uh, doesn't build up on you and catch you by surprise when uh, you're inevitably thinking about something. Yeah, it's a good, it's a nice, quick, practical um, activity, and you'll feel a sense of accomplishment from marking off those tasks. And you know, um, you know, if you're feeling pretty low, you want to start maybe on the lower to mid range difficulty of uh, to do tasks, even yeah. if it's just like calling somebody, even if it's or, just cleaning your room, yeah, or going out for a walk or something like that. You yep. know, so now this uh, other one here about boundaries and distancing yourself from toxic relationships. This again will have to be an entire episode, yeah, um, because uh, there are going to be people in your life that are not doing you any good and. At that point, you're probably not doing them any good either. You're either enabling their delusions uh, or you're just enabling the abuse. So there, the way you'd probably want to start looking at this is figure out how you feel before you hang out with people. Like, are you looking forward to it or are you kind of dreading the obligation? Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, do you feel weaker or do you feel more empowered? Right? So, I mean, you just listen to your body. You know what I mean? It's going to give you the indication about how you actually feel about people. And there's obviously going to be people in your life that you are obligated to hang out with. There's going to be the, uh, you know, the people in your life that you see all the time. You don't have a lot of control over it. And your best bet with them is just boundaries. But if you have the option, you want to be very selective about the people you hang out with. Because remember, a lot of the, the friends you have if you're young, a lot of those friends are only your friends because of where they live. They're in the same proximity to the school that you were, so you got put in the same class. And then you went through eight years of elementary and then four years of high school together, and that's why you're friends. So if you are hanging out with people and the only thing you tend to be talking about is the good old days, you might want to look at what value you and that person are both bringing to that relationship and if you want to continue. Totally. All right. So we're uh, just crossing over the 90-minute mark here. Did you want to go over the uh, the stuff from Carl Jung? Yeah. Okay. Um, these are just a few excerpts from a few of his works. So um, he saw depression as a psychological state characterized by lack of energy And in that, energy is not available to consciousness, but it does not simply vanish. It regresses and stirs up unconscious contents like fantasies, memories, wishes, etc. That, for the sake of psychological health, need to be brought to light and examined. 
So depression should therefore be regarded as an unconscious compensation whose content must be made conscious if it is to be fully effective. So, you know, we can't really we can only we can't really run away from it. We can only run away from it so long until we have to face, you know, certain things and make certain aspects of our experience, you know, conscious and at least pay some attention to it and then we can you know, move forward. And um, he he said that depression is not necessarily pathological. And this is because it often foreshadows a renewal of the personality or a burst of creative en- activity. So there are moments in human life when a new page is turned. New interests and tendencies appear, which have before received no attention, or there is a sudden change of personality, so-called mutation of character. And during this incubation period of such a change, we can often observe a loss of conscious energy. The new development has drawn off the energy it needs from consciousness. And this lowering of energy can be sent most clearly before the onset of certain psychoses and also the empty stillness, which perceives creative work. So, you know, I, I think essentially he's getting at the light side. There is, There can be some positive aspects of depression, even though... You know, we really, in it, in its present experience, it can really be debilitating and, you know. But depression tells us something's wrong. It's something wrong. Something's and wrong. Go fix it. can lead us to change. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a signal. It's like a signal in that sense, right? Definitely. And, it's, it, and I guess it's a signal that we got to be very careful about suppressing with things like drugs and alcohol. Totally. It's, it's like if, if your hand is on the stove, you probably don't want to take a painkiller. You probably want to take your hand off the stove. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. It's so if there's something in your life that's seriously wrong, you want to do your best to try to address that, which you can fix, uh, and realize that you're not alone in the journey uh, for struggling with these issues. So that pretty much brings us to the uh, the end of our first episode. Here, was there uh, anything else you wanted to add there, Tim? Um, we just hope this you know episode was really informative and helpful for you. I'm glad we got to have this discussion. Bring the bring this out more into the light. So. Fantastic. So uh, we got a uh, Facebook page and uh, the YouTube channel, so we're going to be filling out the content a little bit more on that. But, uh, yeah, the social media side will probably be growing more slowly, so uh, we'll wait and see you guys on the next episode of The Sorted Skeptics. Thanks for listening.